Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. So, day one of the ATP Finals, the NITO ATP Finals here at the O2 Arena, and we have already had the first session of play. We're going to try, try to bring you daily tennis podcasts here from the rather salubrious media restaurant which we're currently sitting in, which is probably only about a third full at the moment. We've just had Kevin Anderson defeating Dominic Team. Anderson had never played a match at this tournament before. First time he's qualified. He won through 6-3, 7-6, and myself, David Law, joined today by Grad Matt, who was so good last time, we've brought him back. Hello, Matt. Hello. 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 And uh, the Telegraph, Simon Briggs. Hello, Simon. Hi, how are you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. And, uh, yeah, so we've... As we speak to you now, we've still got Roger Federer against Kei Nishikori to come. Don't worry, folks. We are going to come back at the end of play to, to, to debrief over that. However, we've got lots to talk about in the meantime because we've had the Fed Cup final today uh, in which the Czech Republic have sealed victory. wasn't straightforward in the end, but they got there in the third rubber. Uh, and we've also got the news of Simona Halep. Um, breaking up with Darren Cahill or Darren Cahill basically deciding he wanted to take a year out of coaching that broke obviously about 10 minutes after our last podcast so uh, we were made to look fools once more but Simon Briggs you have been telling us a couple of days ago about your pullout the uh, the eight page pullout you did yep got well received I think Um, yeah I think it it went down pretty well and uh, then we watched Novak with the uh, Spice Girls on Jonathan Ross last night. Did you see that? I, 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 I've heard about it, and I have it recorded, ready to watch. Uh-huh. Am I going to enjoy it? Yeah, well, there was a lot of Jerry Halliwell, I can tell you that much. It, it was almost like the Jerry Halliwell show. Oh, was it? He, she just basically controlled the whole thing. Right. Um, and Jonathan Ross was sort of reduced to some, something of an observer. <laughs> I mean, when, when the Spice Girls were at their peak, was Novak Djokovic about eight years old? He must have been. Yeah, I guess they, they definitely count as uh, older uh, women as far as he's concerned. Yeah. Aunties, perhaps. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, they've done a very good job promoting this event, that being uh, one example of it. Um, so let's start with the tennis we've seen today and the the media day, which uh, which Matt attended. We gave a, a bit of a, an upsum of, of what you, you saw when you were here, Matt. You were there as well, Simon. This this event, I mean, it's it's its tenth year now, yeah. and 
I mean, that's, that is quite a run, isn't it? I, d- d- I don't think when we started here that we thought we would necessarily be here 10 years later. Resounding success. Well, it's had 14 different uh, host cities, I think, since the inaugural event in 1970. I mm. mean, they've had different titles, haven't they? They've been... There was the sofa magnate who put it on in Houston. There was the long run at Madison Square Gardens. But yeah, I think London now it would be in second place on the on the on the longest individual stays, and it's been you know largely the result of that uh, inspiration that Chris Kimmode had that he could uh, ring two sessions out of a day's play, mm. and that's made it much more profitable. And this is the one tournament. Uh, that the ATP owned well it's not anymore because the next gen has arrived but until last year it was the only tournament the ATP actually owned yeah. so you know the, the, the operating costs of that op- organisation had to be supplied by the O2 and it did a very good job of doing that do, do you get a sense of what is to come in terms of its future because we know it's got another couple of years here but I mean do you think this place in the next cycle We'll move on because we've had Novak Djokovic say that for a while now that he feels this is a global event, that it should trot around the world. Roger Federer was perhaps a little more of the view that it's working, why change it? So what do you think is going to happen? My hunch is that the existing lease, as it were, which runs out in 2020 might be the last. Mm. There are various things going on. I mean, for one thing, will we have British singles players who are participating Andy Murray could get back. Kyle Edmund could figure. In fact, he uh, he might well have figured this year if it hadn't been for the illnesses that affected him in two parts of the season. Um, but you know, Jamie Murray's the only British representative this year who got off to a flying start um, in the first session today. So that's a factor. You know, the politics at the ATP right now are wow, they are full on. I mean, people are disappearing from the board. Uh, there is the whole. Cosmos issue, um, everything is really in flux right now, and because things are so in flux, I think flux might also be the state of this tournament. And I think that might, uh, you know, it's obviously got three more years, and then my hunch is that it might move. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, relating back to the match we've seen today, I just wanted to cover briefly the, the 10 years that we've had and, and just pick out one or two memories from it what what sticks out for you i wasn't here at the very beginning of it because i started covering tennis full-time in 2011 i mean i people talk a lot about the andy murray rafa match which i think was 2010 yeah, yeah. that's the one that i hear people talk about but I, I didn't see a ball of it i primarily remember andy beating novak in the 2016 final almost by force of will um novak seemed to be psychologically not up for the the, the fight that day which is so unusual for him I remember Grigor Dimitrov winning last year because I have a soft spot for Grigor I think he's a lovely lad and you know, that, that was his career peak and you know it was, it was lovely to see really um, and I remember Andy losing to Nishikori for some reason mm. I don't know why just because it was sort of like one of those years when it was just like a facepalm moment it was, it was like we, we, you know, you, you'd done all the big build up Andy can he win can he win the tournament this year and then he just it was, for, and for my early years as a tennis reporter Andy was always pretty knackered yes by the time he yeah. got here and he never really played very well you know I, I think that generally he struggled a little bit like Rafa with the burden of the, of the long season in a way that Roger and Novak tended not to mm. and so he, he wasn't in great shape most, most years he turned up here and then 2016 of course 
he was flying so high on confidence that he won the whole thing. Yeah. What, what, anything stick out for you uh, over those years, Matt, as, as the highlight? Yeah, or? I mean, that match Simon mentioned in 2010, uh, Nadal marrying the semi-final. I was actually sat in the very back row of the O2 for that one. Really? Uh, I managed to get tickets for that one. I sat in, honestly, the last row, but it was, it was cracking. Um, it was kind of in that period when Murray was... He was kind of stuck in... He didn't really know which game style to play. He was a bit too passive, a bit too often, but really against Nadal, he pushed him, went to a final set tie break. Um, the other one I would say, I think I think we probably need to mention Nikolai Davidenko, who got this tournament off to... A, to a, 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 biz- a, a bizarre, a, a bizarre start. start, but... <laughs> An that was a PlayStation uh, performance, wasn't it? When, yeah. when everyone said he was playing like a PlayStation, he was. Yeah, yeah. he was just standing never, on the baseline, like it was like ping pong. And he'd never beaten Federer before, and then he goes and beats him in the semi-final, and mm. you know, it was it was a moment. Um, yeah. And that was a good that was a good one. And the other one I wanted to mention was, um, which a lot of people have mentioned, the uh, Federer Stan. Merca semi-final in uh, you're just 20, a troublemaker 2014 Grant. yeah, which, yeah. Um, I can't believe I didn't mention that because I think it was two British papers who ran the story wasn't it <laughs> Daily Telegraph and uh, Daily Mail ran the story and got no end of bleep from the, uh, the, the assembled fans of both players and then Cedric Murier came to our rescue now that was a bizarre chapter because Cedric Murier decided to tell a Swiss radio station I think that you know everything that we've been writing about was accurate, and then Federer was like, "Is he even allowed to say anything? <laughs> he's, he's an the, umpire. He's the that? umpire. Yeah, and uh, you, you're quite right. I do remember that because I remember coming off commentary from that match, and you, you could, on our court effects, you could tell something was going on, something was in the air, but you couldn't fully put your finger on exactly what was what, and then. As you say, the the, the, the rumours started to f- come out. And then I, I remember walking down in the, the bowels of the stadium and at right just happened to walk outside the, the locker room. You could see lots of people scurrying around and doors closed that would normally be opened as basically this was all being had out behind closed doors between yeah. between Roger Federer and Stan Wawrinka. So, 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 I mean, we stood the story up that night from multiple sources, but we didn't have anybody to go on the record, so... I remember, um, you know, the, the, the disbelief and, and you, you, you're just a bunch of nasty hacks trying to cause trouble tweets all flooding in. And, then, and I remember Murier coming out with it. And I, I was walking back from dropping the daughter off at the school. I couldn't resist saying, so how is it all going out there in the uh, you nasty hacks made it all up, made it all up camp? <laughs> it, was very, it was very poor for me. I, I should have controlled myself. I was, just, I was just so irritated by all these people just saying that we'd invented the whole thing that I couldn't resist it what, on Twitter. What was so delicious about it was that just the following week, Switzerland were in the Davis Cup, Cup final with Stan and Roger Federer on the same team. Well, what happened was that they went into the gym right at the side of the court and they had a, a lengthy debate <laughs> and they got it out of their systems um, at, partly at the cost of, of time that, that Roger should have been said spending on the massage table because if, if you remember he'd, he'd ricked his back and he wasn't able to play the next day which no, then led yeah, to the weird the situation where Chris Commode had to ring up Andy who was at <laughs> home playing Mario Kart on his PlayStation <laughs> I don't know, I'm not, I should be sponsored by PlayStation, shouldn't I? Um, and uh, Andy volunteered to come up and play an exhibition match, which was excellent. Yes, crikey. Those are the days. Four years ago, Agro. Yes, it was that Merkert called Stan 
a crybaby. Cry baby, well, yeah. Merkel had already been, um, according to Stan, well, in, in his objections to Cedric Murier, he'd or, she had already been, you know, shouting out in favour of uh, her husband uh, just before Stan was going to serve, and that was when he complained, and then she called him a crybaby. So it was mm. sort of that was the process. Yeah. So uh, a few others that have come in uh, on Twitter at Tennis Podcast. Peter Gordon mentions one that, that that hasn't come up yet that I really think of a lot. I think when anybody thinks of Andy Murray's run here to, to world number one, year end world number one in 2016, that they think of the final. I actually think of the semi final more against Milos Raonic, and he mentions this that because I remember standing there, I wasn't on commentary, but I was watching in, outside the commentary box in the stadium, and it was just so tense. It was one of the most tense crowds that I, I can ever remember because everybody knew what was at stake here. Everybody thought Murray was going to do this, and you know he'd been on this incredible run, and then suddenly, the guy that he'd beaten in the Wimbledon final is on the brink of knocking him out. And, and that would have handed world number one back to Novak Djokovic. It was, a, it was just a huge moment. And I think it's, it's made even bigger with what's followed because Andy Murray may never be able to get back to those levels again with, with his physique the way it is now. I think we can probably say with pretty much confidence he's not going to be world number one again. I mean, the guy has said that he's going to have to play a very conservative schedule no matter how well it's going. And then, in fact, we should mention that he's been on uh, Insta today um, with a video of himself uh, doing cartwheels. Have you seen this? And, and forward yes, rolls. I did yeah. see that. Yes. Very uh, supple. But also interesting how he's entered a couple of tournaments in France in February next year. And, you know, as we said, we, we thought he was going to be playing a lot less, and I think he will be. But interesting that he's entered those two events. Just What do you think so- his scheduling thoughts are in that regard Simon um, I mean at the moment he, he, he entered a lot of tournaments this year that he didn't play in didn't he I mean options yeah uh, I mean he's, people want him to enter because he's so famous mm, yeah <laughs> uh, and you know they probably cut a deal and, and he'll, he'll get appearance money if he comes and if he doesn't then hmm. um, you know no, uh, no skin off their nose but um Great memories, though, in the, in that bank. So um, yeah, it's it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with him. But in terms of this event, this tournament, I mean, I think the you mentioned the Jamie Murray doubles. They sc- scraped home in a third a good set match. Champions time. Mm. It was a good match, wasn't it? And and him and Bruno Suarez, I heard them interviewed afterwards, and they were really pumped. They mm. were, you know, well, this- Jamie was very demonstrative all the way through, and he said to me actually, we did a thing in that uh, supplement on. It was published on Friday, wasn't it? I think I gave you a bum steer on that. I told you it was going to be Saturday, but there was too much rugby, so they put it up on Friday. Um, he did a thing on the supplement saying that if you watch a team who has a, a tight early victory in a tournament, in, in a way that inspires a doubles team more than it, more than it inspires a singles, te- singles player because they, they have something to bond over and, and it, just, it, it gives that extra chemistry between the two players, which is what you need. Mm. A, t- a doubles partnership can go flat and in some ways winning tough... Is, is it better than a 6-3, 6-3 jaunt? He also, in that piece, I read, the, I read it this morning, uh, he also gave an insight into what to do as a doubles player to stand in the middle and not worry about the tram line and the flashy winner down the line. So I, I'm, I'm s- soaking this up. I tell you, I'm ready for my next match. Um, you, you mentioned to me earlier, Matt, that uh, Jamie threw his racket today. Um, but, you know, we don't mind a bit of that. No, no. That's no. all right. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was 
it was such a tight match all the way through. They were breakdown early in the first. They did well to get that back. Um, and then they went and lost the second. And Venus and Klassen had all the momentum going into that tie break. But Marion Suarez did so well to start well in that tie break. I think people, people often talk about match tie breaks as though they're really long. But they're really not that much longer than a regular tie break. Mm. You still want to get off to a good start. And they did. And yeah, as Simon says, they're in a, they're in a good good position there and, and I think they're also in the slightly easier group as well yeah I thought no I worked out there are only three sorry only two of the teams here have been uh, at the O2 for the last three years so Marion Suarez and Mahout and Herbert are the only mm. team that have played here 2016 mm. 2017 and 2018 mm. so I mean I wonder if they might be hard to stop but they must be getting more and more comfortable with it yeah. And they've lost in the semi-finals the last couple of years, haven't they? So yeah. It's a big deal. It's a big mm. deal to them. Um, it was followed by the singles match, the first singles match of the tournament. Dominic team against Kevin Anderson. Anderson won the first set easily, 6-3. Second set was an absolute barnstormer, 12-10 second set tiebreak. And it, virtually every shot, every point was a, was a winning point, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was superb. It's what was it? You were in the stadium. What was I the was atmosphere the like? Because I kind of, I sometimes wonder, you know, I came here today and I thought, 10 years of tennis here, Dominic Thiem against Kevin Anderson, is it going to be packed? Is it going to be a crowd that really is that bothered? Mm. No disrespect to these two players, but they're not household names the way that some no. others are. But what was it like in the stadium? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't hugely packed. Uh, and the first set was a bit flat. Um Interesting, they're doing this this new thing this year, the fan meter. I don't know whether you've seen this, where they sort of encourage the crowd to make as much noise as possible. They didn't necessarily choose the best time always to do this. Team was serving at deuce, and they did this thing, and suddenly a lot of noise. And team seemed to be a little bit irritated by that. There's Unders- a decibel, decibel readout, meter isn't reads it? how much it is, and okay. it was slightly strange, but it did seem to work in the second set when the when the match was closer, perhaps. Mm. Um, but yeah, Team was very much the one who was lifting the crowd. Um, perhaps because he was losing, they wanted to see more of a match. That yeah. whenever Team did, you know, did something spectacular, the crowd responded pretty well to him. Um, but he's he's more that type of player, isn't he, than Anderson? Anderson's very steady. Um, he plays some he plays some nice tennis, came forward well. But he team maximizes his game, though, doesn't he, Anderson? It oh, seems yeah. to me more than Team does. Oh yeah, don't you think? Um, well, I mean, he's he's a stronger hardcore player, I think. I mean, if you look at team's results, um, he's not really pushing for for those tournaments on on hard courts, is he? He's he's he's, he's got a fantastic clay court record, mm. and is obviously the heir apparent when if and when Rafa um, fades. You think team will be the next man off that rank? But uh, on a hard court with the serve he's got, uh, I think Anderson is, is, is better suited to this this kind of environment. Rafa fading. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> going to happen. <laughs> um, so Anderson went through. Um, what do you think? Is it, can you see him going to the semis? We, uh, Catherine and I, have both got him in the semis. Uh, yeah, I would have thought that. I mean, particularly after this. Um, it's Nishikori is the uh, yeah Nishikori Federer tonight. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you wouldn't. You wouldn't expect Nishikori or team now that teams lost that match to to get past Federer or Anderson. So they're 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 looking quite strong mm. bets now. Yeah. So from here to 
It's also the O2, isn't it, in Prague, where they mm. played the Fed Cup final, a different O2. And uh, it was won by the Czech Republic 3-0. They were very comfortably up after the first two days. Katarina Siniakova and Barbora Stritzova in her final Fed Cup match um, were victorious against Sofia Kenin and Alison Risk, straight sets matches. And then, unlike the double, unlike the Davis Cup where they played the doubles as the, the third rubber, in this they played as the fifth and final rubber if required uh, in the Fed Cup. And so they went straight on with Siniakova against Kenin and frankly it looked like it would go the way of Siniakova and be a bit of a damp squib the whole tie and yet it ended up being a three hour 36 minute epic in which uh, Kenin very nearly managed to take it into a fourth rubber couldn't quite do it Siniakova victorious and the Czech Republic I think that that's isn't that something like six out of the last eight years yeah exactly that yeah that is incredible what a record that they've that's that's their winning record yeah they've got I mean, they've got that perfect combination, haven't they? They've got great singles players, but also doubles players that can come in and do the job. Um, Siniakova's been part of the best doubles team. Stritzkova's a great doubles player. And, and yeah, they, um, they've won out. They've, they've come through pretty comfortably in the end, 3-0. But mm. as you said, a lot of the matches, well, two of the matches were certainly very close. Where are we with team tennis now, Simon? Because another example today of how good it can be and yet the whole thing is just, frankly, at the moment, a bit of a mess, isn't it? Because we don't know what the future holds. Yeah, I mean, we're going we're to get more of it, <laughs> the way it's going. We're going to end up with too much of it, and it's all fragmented and doesn't make much sense, aren't we? Well, at least there's more attention being paid to it. it, it the Davis Cup hasn't had so much publicity in years, has it? <laughs> this um, is true. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be uh, staying in the arrangement that we're likely to get in... Uh, 2019 and 2020 with the, the, the six-week or five-week gap between the two events, the Davis Cup new format and the ATP new event. I don't think that's going to stay, but I think it's difficult to get around the fact that it will have a year like that. Mm. And then everything's going to be up in the air and um, we'll sort that out. One, one note on the, on the Czech Republic, though, you know, if, if you're the LTA and you're trying to put in a, a new development network, you know, I would have thought that the country in the world that makes the most of its tennis resources has to be the Czech Republic I mean mm. uh, I speak to Naomi Cavaday who knows a lot about uh, development and, and she says that their their conversion ratio like if, if, you, if you take a, a prospect I mean they, they just they never fail to get the best out of them the, the, the coaches out there they really know what they're doing don't they and and you look at the basics of all those players they're so sound yeah and it's just they're, they're doing something right I mean People say that there aren't too many examples of a really good development system in the world that has a you know, 100% hit rate and, and churns out people on the conveyor belt, but Czech Republic, that's yeah. as, as close as they come. Yeah, no, they're pretty good. Uh, Simon, before we go, before we let you go, um, you mentioned to me earlier that you may have a bit of Kyle Edmund news. What is it? Oh, yeah, we're just doing a story um, tomorrow that he's uh, had his tonsils out and it looks like that uh, they are... Um, not in great shape, the tonsils, which is, I guess, what was the original plan. It was to see what, what um, might have been causing this viral um, illness that he's had twice this year. And some doubts, you know, in, in, in kind of the, the medical fraternity is how, how best to treat it. They decided to go for the operation and did it on Friday. Looks like, uh, you know, evidence of infection in there and... Um, Hopefully that, that might help him stay stronger and healthier next year. He's gone off on holiday now, I understand. 
um, and should be able to return and, and, and start building up for the new season because Hissel had an amazing year, didn't he, to finish 14th in the world. Incredible when, uh, when you look at where he started. But uh, it could have been even better. He could have been here, couldn't he, without those uh, f- first-round defeats, which he had in Indian Wells, he had in Miami. Tournaments um, which you feel that the US he, Open. he could do well at these tournaments, couldn't he, in the He future? just wasn't in good condition because not only did he spend you know, a couple of weeks virtually on his back for twice this season, first after the Australian Open and then after Wimbledon, but then he's, he's not somebody who can just clack, click his fingers and, and be back in condition. He needs a pretty lengthy... Um, build up he needs he needs a kind of training block to get himself ready and he was pushing it to get back there and both times and he wasn't ready so it uh, could have been even better which is encouraging mm, it is encouraging right let's go and let Simon have his dinner and do some work and uh, we'll be back with more after Roger Federer against Kane Ishikori so here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Just a few short hours later and we are in some sort of shock. We're back where we started in the media restaurant. It is more or less deserted now. Just a few people knocking around. Sue Barker's over to our left. Uh, Winner of the Ron Bookman Media Award in the ATB Awards a few days ago. But as she just said to us, Matt, we're all a bit stunned because Roger Federer has just been beaten. And 
as she said just now, it wasn't very good. What did you think? No, it was bad, wasn't it? It was really bad. Um, I was I was sat watching up in the stands. I was I was out of harm's way this time from Federer after my little incident with him earlier in the week. What was he, your little incident? Well, I was w- watching him practice, and he he returned the ball and he framed it straight at me as I was holding my phone. I had to duck out the way, and he he, he, he did end up apologising. But actually, I thought it was. It was more of the same tonight, was wasn't an, it? it an was, omen. It was kind of a precursor to what happened tonight, wasn't it? He, I wondered at one point whether they were actually playing with strings. That, <laughs> but the sort of, when the sort of regularity that they were finding the frame, it was, it was quite something, wasn't it? Well, it was quite, it was quite, what was quite interesting. I mean, j- just to let you know, if you haven't followed the scores, Roger Federer was beaten by Kane Ishikori seven six, seven four in the tiebreak, and then six three in the second set, and. Um, I, I was I was commentating on the second set for BBC Radio, so and and I was sort of in the back of the box for the first handful of games. I wasn't taking too much notice, frankly, of what was going on uh, in in terms of the actual ins and outs of the, the match. And then I noticed a tweet from you saying it's been pretty awful the first half a dozen games. Yeah, I mean there was a moment where Federer went to return my Nishikori surf, and he sort of framed it into the ground and it rebounded and hit him in the face and and it was it was a gif moment it was a gif moment everybody was everybody was replaying this moment and saying it was kind of a summary of the match and and it was i mean yeah but i was again i was sat there thinking at midway through that set oh blimey if we're if we're looking back on 10 years at the o2 in another 10 years time this this match is not going to be in our in our sort of good memories but then no. actually it, it developed into something that you couldn't really take your eyes off but no. for kind of all the wrong reasons it, it became pretty dramatic it did because at the start of the second set when I, I picked up Contry and, and actually even though he lost the first set Nishiguri won the first set 7-6 all the way through you're expecting eventually Federer to win it yeah. right? and actually the second half of that first set I thought he picked up his level quite a little a bit he did yeah he did Yeah, um, he, and he started to put some pressure on etc but he didn't take his chances and actually Nishikori was very mentally strong today wasn't he he was wasn't he and there was a moment where Federer hit a hit a nice return and Nishikori did a gorgeous half volley pick up for a winner and then Federer then seemed to hit the ball into the crowd got a got a warning for ball abuse and then Nishikori stayed really calm really strong and raced into a lead in that tie that was really quite shocking to see Federer get a code violation and and I've been racking my brain trying to think of the last time I saw him get a code violation I've seen him have words with with an umpire Mm. and what was interesting as well is that initially he just sort of he didn't make any reaction whatsoever. Um, he didn't have a go at the umpire. He didn't have words. He didn't question it. He didn't query it. Then at the start of the second set, there was a, some sort of dispute over over a Hawkeye and a line call, and and then the frustration came out, and, and Damien Steiner got it both barrels from Roger Federer. And it was quite, it was quite awkward, actually. He was really ratty with him, and, and, and he sort of challenged, and then, and then he kind of cancelled his own challenge. Um, and the, the whole mood of the match was just one of, ooh, this is, a bit, this is a bit uncomfortable. Yeah, it was that sort of irate, slightly angry, tetchy Fed, mm. Federer, wasn't it? And that's... Normally, that isn't a good Federer. He doesn't normally play well when he 
Well, when I, he, I, when I he's rem- like that. I remember um, when we covered his defeat at the US Open to John Millman, mm. Catherine kept referencing how he was bailing out on rallies towards the end. And then there was that great quote, wasn't there, at the end, which was, I was almost glad it was over yeah. by the end. And there were, there were moments today when you just... He just looked a bit gone with it all, the fact that he's this good and it's not happening and he really couldn't be doing with it. You no. know, that, that, was the, that, that was how it came across. And I, and I, I realise, you know, we're, we're, we're probably spending too much time talking about Roger Federer here, but it's, it's quite shocking because it's, it's never happened this before, has it? A straight sets defeat in the round-robin stages. That's right, yeah, his first, his first one. Um, he'd lost a few before the round-robin stages, but this was the first ever one in straight sets. Um, and yeah, you you wonder he's got to pick himself up from here. He's got team on Tuesday, Tuesday now, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and you know, team has a winning record against Federer. Okay, a couple of those matches on clay, I think. But um, team team played pretty well today, even though he lost. So it will be that will be very interesting to see if Federer can pick himself up from this because yeah. he's got a he's going to have to play a whole lot better. We will watch with interest. So that's coming up in a couple of days' time. Tomorrow it's going to be Alexander Zverev against Marin Cilic in the afternoon. Then it's Novak Djokovic against John Isner in the evening session. Um, we've had some some other stuff happen uh, over the last uh, few days that, that we, we, we said we would talk about briefly. Certainly, Simona Halep and Darren Cahill parting ways came out of the blue, didn't it? Mm. Because... That obviously ended world number one. Uh, Halep had ended the year world number one for a second year in a row. Um, she'd won her first Grand Slam title. She'd, she, she, they'd, they'd created a... I can't remember whether it was him creating a video about her or mm. her creating one about him. But it was all very, very lovely. And, and there, was, there was some really nice moments in the videos. Uh, and, and they obviously have had a great relationship in that way. It's been hugely successful. Um, but Darren Cahill said, you know, I need to take a year out. My kids are, are at an age now where they need me around more to help them make the transition. I think, I think it, isn't it into college tennis, mm, I think is, I believe uh, it is yeah. um, Darren Cahill's son. And, uh, and he wants to help him make the transition, wants to be around more. And it is a heck of a long time on the road, 30-odd weeks at a time on the road. It's, it's a big ask. Um, and I, I, it, it did send my mind back to an interview I heard him do a while back where he said... He kind of feels, and this may not be the case here, but he kind of feels that after five years, you've pretty much taught a player all that you can teach them. And he'd been together with Simona Hallett pretty much four years. Hmm. So, you know, I wonder whether that's also maybe a factor. And let's let's be honest, she scaled the mountain. They they have succeeded. They've achieved what they set out to achieve. So, but it's still it's still a, a shock, and it'll be interesting to see what her next move is. Yes, it will. It's it's funny you mentioned that the fact they've been together so long I, I hadn't quite realised how long they'd no. been together actually and you, you get on the WTA tour especially this sort of coaching carousel that seems to happen every every season but they've been such a constant sort of partnership haven't they for so long there was that little gap they had in 2017 where um, Cahill took some time off but yeah I mean the results of, the results speak for themselves it'd be interesting to see who she goes for next she strikes me as someone who probably will want to have someone. Yeah, she'll need a coach. I don't think Simona Halep is going to be going coachless exactly. for very long. But yeah. who it's going to be, well, that's a big question. Anything else we've got to cover? 
We wanted to quickly mention Sitsipas winning oh, the yes, next gen. Of course, next gen final. Stefanos Sitsipas doing what we thought he would do at the start of the tournament, winning it undefeated, um, and he beat Alex Dimonor in the final. Good final, I think. It was a good final. Yeah, close. Uh, those two were the standout players. It was mm. the final. The event sort of deserved, needed, um, and yeah, Sitsipas. I was very impressed with the way he took sort of approached Milan actually you know he, he he tweeted a while back how he was still hoping to qualify for London but you know he really went to Milan thinking right I'm going to win this and I'm going to put out a statement and let's see whether he can do a chung and really sort of start 2019 where he's left off oh, I think he can he, he looks the real deal to me that, that lad and I tell you Dimonor not too far behind him either so no. a really good pair to have flying so day one in the books man right done we better go and get some sleep uh, we'll be back with another tennis podcast we hope tomorrow we've never done this before folks so you know we, bear with us but we're trying to get you a daily tennis podcast here from the O2 Arena that's the plan we have been brought to you in association with The Telegraph with Melanie Bowes Triple S TennisBalls.com our executive producers our mascot Charlie the Ferret uh, and our sponsors La Manga Club we'll be back hopefully tomorrow see you Hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy so I created Pretty Litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors saving you money and potentially your cat's life Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.